Welcome back to another episode of the Your Houston podcast. This is Mario Castillo, the executive director of Your Houston. Today, we're speaking with Rushka Chulakova, the director of community programming at LISC. We're going to learn all about different programs and services that LISC offers to the Houston area. And be sure to like, subscribe, comment, and follow so you can stay up to date on all of our episodes. Now, let's get into our conversation with Rushka. Thank you so much for being here, Rushka. We're excited to get to know you a little more and talk all about LISC. Uh, but first, we're going to have a few questions uh, so that our audience can learn more about you. And we're going to start oh, with <laughs> uh, the question we ask everyone because Houston is such a food town and there's so many options. Mm -hmm. uh, we want to know what is your favorite restaurant in Houston? Oof, that's a tough one. And first of all, thank you so much for having us. Um, we certainly appreciate the opportunity. Um, you know, food is such a such a great way to experience culture. And I can't possibly pin it down to just one restaurant. I think for me, there's such a world of opportunity in experiencing different cultures, different parts of the world. And Houston itself, it's such a microcosm of everything that you could possibly find across the world. But I have to say, and I know this is probably very unorthodox, my favorite place is honestly my kitchen. It is the most intimate setting. It is peaceful and it is where I can convene my closest family, friends, relatives, and have bring that communal feeling of food, that central piece that food brings to the table of bringing people and community and mm -hmm. hearts and minds and intimacy. Yeah, that's that's the first time we've heard that <laughs> since we've started asking this question. But now, okay, we're going to want to try some of your food. Whatever um, <laughs> what you ask for. <laughs> yeah, no, if we come over for a meal, what are you going to cook for us? Um, it depends. Uh, depends on how much mental space I have in the day. <laughs> um, you know, there's, um, you know, I've had the pleasure of having such a diverse set of friends and they've taught me all different types of cuisines. Mm -hmm. um, Italian is one of my go-tos, okay. uh, whether it's like a broccoli raw pasta gnocchi with sausage, something simple and flavorful, healthy. Yeah. <laughs> um, side of salad, capri salad maybe, or I could go the Bulgarian route and cook you a, a traditional Bulgarian cuisine. Wow. All right. Mm -hmm. I'm starting to get a little hungry thinking about all this. So, um, I know. It's almost dinner time. <laughs> <laughs> Next question. Yes, sir. Um, what is your ideal vacation? Oh, my ideal vacation, I think, will be somewhere um, quiet and on the beach. Hopefully, no hurricanes and storms <laughs> in, the, in the near future setting. <laughs> That's top of mind here in Houston, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then if you could have a conversation with anyone, past or present, who would it be? My future self. Your future self, mm -hmm. okay. Yep. Uh, well, I, I think I would be t two people, my future self and a past version of me. I would like to sit both of those entities down and have a very frank conversation with them. <laughs> okay. That's uh, this is a little Christmas carol here. You get the past, a little the present, bit. the future. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. So you've given us two uh, unorthodox <laughs> answers, but no, that's great. You're welcome. Because 
it's it's fun to you know hear what people uh who they want to talk to and, mm -hmm. and get a little insight and um we haven't heard that those responses either yeah yeah there's been you know since 2020 um uh, i think mm, i can speak for myself certainly uh life has changed drastically and there's been a lot of soul searching a lot of retooling re-envisioning and and a lot of skin shedding. Mm -hmm. And I can only imagine, you know, I have such gratitude for the versions of me that I've had to go through to get me to where I am. And sitting back and having that moment of reflection of like, wow, if I only I knew what I know now then, but that's part of the journey, right? Yep. And then the curiosity in me stands like, well, if I'm here today because of those versions of me, which I honor some parts now and some parts I've had to honestly let go, what does future me look like? What does she have to tell me, right? Where does she, what does she have to overcome? What does she look like? What, and and then having that sense of, you know, forgiveness for, for the past and grace, allowing myself to give myself grace for the past and saying thank you to that person. You did the best that, mm -hmm. that you could. And I'm so much better off because of you. Yeah, could we do, have done a couple of things different? Absolutely. Sure, I couldn't. <laughs> Absolutely. That's the thing that just goes without saying. But you know what? Fist pump. <laughs> we made it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to visit with us. Um, we're excited to talk to you to learn more about LISC. And just to start, you know, for people out there who don't know anything about LISC, can you tell us what the organization is, what it does, how it came to be? Sure, certainly. So we are, first and foremost, uh, a nonprofit, uh, 501c3, and we are, secondly, a community development financial institution. So we have um, the ability to make impact as a nonprofit, um, but also the ability to make impact as a CDFI with the various lending products that we have on, on hand. So. We were established in 1989. Um, we're part of a national organization, so there are offices throughout the country. And the beauty of our work is we don't necessarily provide direct services in the traditional nonprofit sense, right? We don't have like residential services where clients come through the door and we have case management. Our clients are the nonprofit organizations throughout Greater Houston. And part of the the breadth and scope and impact that we bring to the region is community development and capacity building. And we do that through a variety of, of, of different vehicles, but ensuring that there's an intermediary, right? So you have all the nonprofits that are boots on the ground doing the great work. And when you have an intermediary like, like LISC present in the market that can provide sort of oversight and guidance and leadership and coordination, um, that has like that 50,000 foot view where, you know, the direct service providers might not mm -hmm. because they're so deep in, in the trenches doing the work. We're able to glean a lot more trends, gaps, opportunities, but also be able to dive deep into the work hand in hand with, with the organizations to understand what are the needs and what do we need to be doing better as entities, but also as a collective whole. And then surfacing that to the powers that be to say, hey, Dear Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> well, that's an important role to play because mm -hmm. you have groups that are on the ground mm -hmm. doing the direct service day to day. And you can be, you know, full on in that world 
and not step back and see that 50,000 foot view. Yeah. And so to be able to offer that perspective and that guidance, that's so important to advancing progress on the issues. Because mm-hmm. you, can, you can be in direct service for years and years and years, and that's providing a, a, a crucial role, but it's not Absolutely. addressing the long-term you know, root of the issue. Absolutely. And you know, Houston is, I love Houston. This is, um, I've, my relationship with Houston is a very interesting relationship. Um, and after having lived in various different markets, you know, Houston just has a very special ingredient. And part of what makes it also very unique is the diversity that it has and the different communities and how unique and special each community is. And with that diversity, there's also a level of sensitivity that we need to bring to the table that how we address problems in Houston is not a one-size-fits-all. Whereas in other markets, because of the size or because of the lack of diversity that, you know, when measured to Houston, it does afford a little bit more of a uniform approach. But Mm -hmm. here you really have to kind of look at each community and honor who they are, what their identity is, what the resources they have, and really look at them from an asset perspective of what they bring to the table and work with them to advance advance them to the next level. The challenge within Houston, too, is while we have this deep community work, there's a level of regional organization that we also need to be mindful of because we are people move across the city yep, um, or people should move and have access to transportation to move across the city that resources are not spread out equitably across the city. Um, So as much as we dive deep and helps honor and work with the community on what makes that community unique, we also have the responsibility to ensure equity across the entire city Mm -hmm. and looking at a better coordinated system across the the entire city. And that's really the heart of what LISC is positioned to do. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so let's start to, to dive into that a bit. Let's do it. You're a community development organization. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of the ways that you go about developing neighborhoods and communities? So our methodology, first and foremost, is that it has to be community driven, mm-hmm. right? We can't be sitting in our chairs in an office somewhere and saying, well, this is what the data says. We think this is what's best for this community. That's just... It's been done before, not by LISC, but, and it doesn't work. Yep. Um, communities are going to reject it. You're not honoring the voice. And there's a lot of unknowns when you go dive, dive deeper into the community of how people behave, how they move, how they interact. And so for us, community development really starts with going deep into the communities, pulling the people together, and working alongside with them and affecting change. At the same time, there's also a level of systemic work Right. So us, as we're turning towards the communities, we're also turning towards leadership and other stakeholders to identify what are the missing resources that the community needs. And then part of our work, too, takes a look at, well, we're hearing this from this community, but we're also hearing the same over here and over here. Now we're starting to see themes. Mm -hmm. So at the systemic level, how can we surface those themes and what does those those team themes mean for us? And how can we take action from a regional perspective around those themes? And part of this is there's the problems are so vast and so deep and not one organization can be the solution. And that's the other part of, of our work is that we can't we can't do this alone. Nor should we. Right. 
everybody has 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 blind spots and we certainly as much as we have expertise that we bring to the table in one area there's a whole host of other experts subject matter expertise throughout greater houston so our position of power is in numbers the more people that we can bring to the table that we can lock hands with and say let's let's work towards solving this together because the problem is that big that everybody can have a piece of it <laughs> isn't that the truth I right mean, <laughs> you know we're involved in health equity work through mm -hmm. a grant and it's similar to what you describe about going into the neighborhoods talking to people you know meeting them where they are and saying you know what's your experience with this how do you mm -hmm. feel about health services in your area do you have access to quality food figuring out what those inequities are that are in the community and that have been there for many years mm -hmm. and try to address them by building a coalition of stakeholders that can own part of the solution and yeah. keep that going you know when we're not funded to do the work the solution doesn't go away but right. if the school and the clinic and the church and the nonprofit and this business are all involved it can continue to move forward you know for years and years and years and it's a sustainable yep. approach and that's that's our model, but it sounds very similar to, mm -hmm. to how y'all approach it as well. So yes, ab absolutely, and that and that's the magic here, right? So our subject matter expertise, we kind of um, have a much broader view. So we would look to partners like you, where you have a special focus area, and we share the same methodology, right? So there's automatic alignment there, and it's. When you're talking about, you know, in the dating world, there's it has to be a foundation of, of values that that we're working off of, right? And it's the same when you're talking about partnerships in the business sense. If we're not working from the same methodology, we're we're going to clash. But the fact that you have the same mindset and the same way of doing work as well as we do, and yours is more focused around health, ours, ours is a little bit broader and allows for for, for flexibility. Mm -hmm. There's a level of resources that we can bring to the table to support you. By no means are we in a position to come in and take over the work in any community. That's not our, our, our place. That would be Mission Creek for us. But it's taking a look at strength-based approach, looking at partners like you that are, that are leading this work and having charge and having presence and having trust. And then us taking a look at the resources and tools that we have on hand and saying, what else, what can we do to support you within this work? Is it sitting alongside you? Or is it sitting behind you and kind of giving you resources here and there, connecting connecting to other pieces or whatever the case is, right? Mm -hmm. It looks very different for every every partner that we work with and every community that that we're in. So tell us about the the Go Neighborhood program. So that is one of our legacy programs. Um, got launched back in 2009. It is part of the Building Sustainable Communities model, which is a nationally acclaimed uh, comprehensive community place-based development work. Um, so we started in, in Houston and we have 13 neighborhoods that are considered GO neighborhoods, which is stands short for Greater Opportunity Neighborhoods. And these are the neighborhoods, but we have different sort of mm, tiers of where a neighborhood is and in, in how they're doing the work. I, I think we need to re-envision re our overall community development strategy. Mm -hmm. Obviously 2009, what we look like then is not what we look like now in 2023. Correct. So. Correct. To some degree, we have to take a look at our methodology and say, where do we need to upgrade the way that we do our work and the way we think about how we're doing our work? But at the heart of Go is the place-based comprehensive community development. And it's taking a look at building the community up to take charge and leadership 
and action in affecting change. Where we're also looking at within Go is, well, it's a very comprehensive methodology and it requires a lot of moving pieces to be in effect, which requires a lot of funding to be in place. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when the funding is not available or when all the moving pieces are not ready, it doesn't necessarily mean that we can't affect community development or we can't affect change. It just means that we have to modify the methodology and the model to meet the community where, where they are with the resources that they have. And quite frankly, the resources that, that we have, right? Our work, a lot of our work does require us to fundraise in order to be able to support communities. Yep. And if we don't have that funding in line to help a community, that doesn't necessarily mean that we can't help them. It just means that our help and assistance looks in a very different form and fashion. Mm -hmm until we can work together to build up a portfolio of what the effective change is going to look like that when we can fundraise and bring into the area. And so for us right now, you know, we have a lot of um, legacy work that's happening within Go and community development. That's part of sort of how the methodology started. But where we're at right now is taking a look at, well, what can we do with with the communities where perhaps maybe we don't have the same level of funding to support the level of change that we would like to see or that's needed. Mm -hmm. There's still work that we can offer and there's still tools and resources that we can bring to the table. So at this level where we are is our desire and we have a strategy in place that we're gonna be executing uh, relatively soon, but engaging the communities in a very different way and understanding exactly the work that's happening within that, that, that community where the missing resources and pieces, but more importantly, where can LISC help support and making change in some of the issue areas that the community wants to tackle. So this program you said started in 2009 mm -hmm. here in Houston, mm -hmm. and it's gonna be long-term continuing, you know, for years and years. Here we are, 2023, and it's still, still going strong. Yes, still going strong. Like I said, it's, it's one of our legacy models and it's mm -hmm. part of the heart of, of LISC's mission. Um, now, whether it looks like what it did back when it started, obviously that's to be, that's that's the work at hand that we have in 2023 is taking a look at how we can continue to support our our work. Mm -hmm. And then um, the financial um, opportunity centers mm -hmm. that is a separate from Go Neighborhood program. It is okay. Um, and this is where the plot twist comes in, right? So. And I, I love this so much, so I apologize if I, if I geek out a little bit. So our financial opportunity centers is yet another legacy model. It's part of our family income and wealth building pillar of, of our work. Okay. It is an evidence-based program that we brought into Houston, I think, around 2010. So around the time that Go launched, we also launched the financial opportunity centers. And it is a, a recipe where we help build the capacity of organizations to do a trifecta service delivery model. And that has been scientifically proven to be effective in moving families out of poverty. And the methodology is, it seems simple at hand, but the operationalizing it of, of it within an organization is, is where um, it gets really intense. But basically families get Three, three services bundled across across the board. It is where um, we screen individuals and families for any public assistance, any benefits that might be left off, off, off the table. We enroll them in financial coaching. So this is the piece where, you know, the not sexy piece of working on budgets, mm -hmm. 
But financial coaching is much more than just creating a budget. It is about looking at a, what is the aspirational goal that the family has that they haven't been able to tackle or haven't been even been given the space to dream, right? Mm. If obstacles weren't a barrier, where do you see yourself in 10 years, in yeah. five years, next year? And what do you want your bank account to look like? How much money do you want in there? And like, let's not worry about the job. Let's let's dream a little bit. Let's bring that inspiration back into your heart and soul because God knows life has trampled all over you, right? And so creating what those goals are and, and, and aspirations and then working one-on-one -on -one with the financial coach on creating the strategy and it's really the client driving it, creating the strategy of how you're going to get there. And the coach is just by, just like any football player, any tennis player, you're doing the work. You've got the skill sets. The coach is just there to help you tweak a little bit, right. you know, move a little bit, change change your feet a little bit, you know, budgeting-wise. Mm, all right, what are some of your triggers? Are you a spender? Are you a saver? Mm -hmm. Let's take a look at, you know, maybe we can start with saving two dollars out of your paycheck maybe it's three but let's get in the habit of putting money aside and how much makes that doesn't make sense to do so and then the last piece is looking at um skilling up which is the workforce and career coaching so maybe your job right now you have this big goal and looking at at where you are within your career or your job or your lack of job let's put you either in a training program or a higher educational opportunity, or maybe you just need a different, a different job. You've got all, all the skill sets, all, all the education, but you're having a hard time finding a good market or a good industry to get you into an income that, that you need. So sitting down with a career coach, really mapping out sort of what your skill sets are, or what, what your dream is, what your time frame is, mm -hmm. right? Sometimes these things are urgent. It's like, mm, I'm gonna get kicked out within two weeks. I need a job ASAP. Yeah. All right, let's stop the bleeding. Let's let's look at getting you into a a, a, a a job now and get some income coming in. But let's look at the long-term pathway of how we skill you up and get you into a better income job. On average, the financial opportunity centers, the organizations that are deemed as our financial opportunity centers, they can hang on to a client up to five years. So it's not just about putting them into a job, but following up with them six months or a year later, like, hey, are you ready to advance? What does that next level look like? Hey, are you little and so looking at, you know, we have such great success, client success stories of, you know, people coming in from different countries, different cities, different states, mm -hmm. people here locally that for whatever reason just haven't had any luck in getting their footing. And working with their coach, whether it's the career coach or their financial coach or all of them, the progress that they've been able to make and the dreams and the businesses that they're starting as a result, the new pathways and careers that they're starting, the ability to move from incarceration to now integrating into life, the ability to be returning from um, being deployed abroad as a, as, as a military service person and coming back and now you're integrating into, into civilian life and like yeah. us working with like, what are those transfers? It's just magical, magical. What kind of organizations can serve as a financial opportunity center? So, um, Primarily, it, they are health and human service organizations, okay. the traditional health and human um, service organizations. But there's a level of readiness within the organization to do the Financial Opportunity Center. The biggest shift that we have seen in organizations who, who start to adopt this methodology, because the work, if you're hearing, is you have an income coach, you have a financial coach, right. you have a career coach, Coaching is a very different way of doing service delivery than case management, right? And so for an organization who's interested in becoming a financial opportunity center or changing how they're doing service, it's 
it's really, if you're going to be doing a, a financial opportunity center, understand that that coaching philosophy that's embedded is going to permeate across the organization. And there mm -hmm. is going to be an entire cultural shift within the organization because you're no longer case managing. Now you're coaching people. Right. You're honoring the resiliency and the assets and the strength and the fact that to some degree we have the knowledge internally. We just haven't been given the space mm -hmm. or the support to, to encourage us to explore, uh, explore what that knowledge base is. And maybe, you know, there's some tools here and there that, all right, there's a little knowledge gap that we need to address. You know, there's a couple of tools that we can offer you, but for the most part, it's not my job to tell you what to do. I can tell you all day, but the reality is you can walk out the door here and be like, well, that was nice. I'm, I'm still going to do, yeah, right. that has nothing to do with me. I didn't like it. And she didn't listen. Right. So it's, it's a matter of like, well, here's your goal. What have you tried? What have you found to work? I mean, the conversations are just, they can, I can talk about this all day. <laughs> yeah, well, it's its really interesting that y'all train organizations. You build their capacity to mm -hmm. perform in this way because you're able to replicate yourself many times over mm -hmm. with these financial uh, centers that are doing the three different services. Mm -hmm. So that's a, that's a very uh, effective model, and it sounds like something that's been successful for y'all one of your legacy, another one of your legacy programs. Yeah. Well, and so here's where, thank you for that. Um, he, here's where we, we're at in terms of our our overall thinking is that while we have programs, right, the reality is when we take a look at sort of human-centered design approach and we take a look at looking at a whole community and you and you start to get curious about, well, what if we take the human-centered design and we put them in whole community? How does that work? Mm -hmm. And when you take a look at that, you start to take a look at what, okay, well, if, if that's how the world is structured, the human in the middle, the community around, right? There's only so much work that we can do with you as a person before we put you back into the community that might not be, might not have all the formula that you need to be successful, right? So, you might have all of the greatest intentions, but if your community doesn't have the assets that you need to be successful, you're only going to go so far, right? So human first, community second. But how we've structured, I think at large, the design of our programs, it's taking a look at issue by issue by issue mm -hmm. versus person. And some of these issues, right? You, the data tells the story, you know, we have a population, like, what is it, 98% of the population is not ready for retirement. We have, you know, 40% of the population doesn't have the income that they need to sustain a basic quality of life. We have, you know, the data just goes on and on. And oh, yeah. when you look at these data pieces on their own, they're alarming. But the reality is one person can fit many of these different data sets, right? They can be part of the um, inadequate access to food they can be part of the limited liquid asset they can be part of the poverty they, they can fit in many different pieces absolutely but we're only looking at the data from one lens okay well let's solve for food well great but that person might also be homeless so the person might also not have a job now they're part of the employment right that person might also not be able to read and write at the appropriate level to, to even get a job right so so rather than looking at the problem let's look at the person and, and and realize that this person is facing many problems. Mm -hmm. So how can we serve the person 
with understanding what the problems they are around them. And then layer on understanding the community and the problems that the community has. And when you start thinking about the, pro the, the work in that manner, then the magic behind our organization is like, well, how do we need to reshift mm -hmm. our work so we're putting the person at the center and the programs are wrapped around the person and then we wrap the community around that as well. Wow. So there's a lot of opportunity there for assistance, for other organizations mm -hmm. to get involved, for people to get involved because like you mentioned earlier, the problem is big enough for yeah. multiple uh, folks to help pitch in to tackle. It's not just y'all. It's not just us. It's yep. a collective approach. Is there um, an opportunity for people who are listening or watching that feel inspired to help or get involved with LISC? Uh, do y'all do volunteer work? Do you take volunteers? So we're testing out something new this year in volunteerism. We're keeping it a little um, contained. Historically, LISC has not been in the volunteer. As an intermediary, again, we have mm -hmm. we don't do direct services, so there's right. not necessarily something that a program that we run where we're interacting with families. Volunteerism, we can connect individuals to organizations that have work on the ground where they're in need of volunteers, but it wouldn't be necessarily for LISC directly. So it's more coordinating. Coordinating. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then if people want to support LISC, you know, are there ways to, to financially support? You mentioned you're a nonprofit. I'm sure you take donations. Of course. Is there an event coming up? <laughs> uh, how can people get plugged in that way? Um, that's a really good, so we don't, we don't have an event. Okay. Um, historically, we haven't really, we're not a traditional <laughs> nonprofit. No gala or anything? <laughs> not yet. <laughs> Perhaps, maybe. Although, yeah, I'll save my crazy ideas. <laughs> um, but it, there absolutely is, you know, we, we do have, um, they can contact anybody within LISC and we can certainly set up what that donation process could, could look like. Um, okay. Our website certainly has some way that you can donate through our website, or you can talk to somebody within our office, myself or Claire, our executive director, Laura, anybody. We'll be happy to discuss what our options are. Great. Well, we really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to visit with us. We learned so much Thank you. about LISC, about legacy programs, things that you offer, your approach uh, to community building and, and organizing. And it's a much needed service that, that y'all provide that. 50,000 foot perspective. Um, we, we talk to a lot of nonprofits that are grassroots direct mm -hmm. service. Um, and it's easy to get caught up in that and not see the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. But with y'all providing that, it helps make sure we're all working towards a solution. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Thank you.